Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. <laughs> Come on. Oh, man. How about we bring them lights up and you know what time it is. 10 second praise break, go. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I got you, Joe. I got you. Uh, one of our amazing worship leaders and prayer room leaders. Come on, Joe. Oh, my gosh. Eden, thank you so much for leading us in incredible worship this morning. Oh, man. I, uh, wow. I, uh, I got problems. Um, you already know that. Uh, if you're new with us this morning, hi, Pastor Matt, it's good to meet you. Uh, I'm insane, and uh, I'm trying to remember because I was having an experience with the Lord this morning, just like Adrian was saying. He's here. He's here. And, and for whatever reason, I don't know what it is necessarily about us as a community. I don't know what it is necessarily about this warehouse, but he seems to sure love being here, doesn't he? He sure seems to love coming in and riding in on willing hearts, on praises and thanksgiving that are being lifted up in this house from people who earnestly want to love him, want to love him. And I got to tell you, as, as I begin to preach in just a moment, I want to encourage you throughout the rest of the service, if he's here, all that he has comes with him. So if you need healing, if you need provision, if you need deliverance, if you need something that only the king can give, feel encouraged as I preach, as the word of God goes forth, sit under it and just come into agreement and say, yes, Lord, heal me. Yes, Lord, free me. Yes, Lord, break me and build me and make me like you. Yes, Lord, I need provision. And just begin as he's here. It's like, we're always cautious. It's like, we don't want him to leave. It's like, what well, he's here for a reason. <laughs> so let's celebrate him. Let's keep him. And let's go to him. He loves his children. Amen? Oh, God, we're so grateful that you're here. Can we just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, man. I, uh, that's right, Hannah. Come on, girl. Shout me down. Um, wow, okay. Uh, Real quick, before the Lord starts uh, getting after me again, uh, I just want to take a moment and say that, friends, it's no secret around here that we run with the greatest legends in the church, on the earth, in this hour, and that is none other than the Radiant Network. Come on, how much do we love being a part of the Radiant Network? Church, you know, every time we get a chance to go and be with our brothers and sisters as the staff here at the Radiant Network, man, it doesn't just bless us, it blesses all of us. Because somehow we continually come back and it's like we've just been with the Lord and we've been with people who have been with the Lord and we just get to sit and we get to be together and then we come back and it's just like, what's on fire? doesn't matter. He's here. <laughs> Amen. And uh, part of that is stewarded, pastored, and loved and looked after so well by none other than my and Adrian's dear friends, Pastor Sonny and Pastor Becky Mizar. Would you guys just thank them for being here this morning? Come on. Takeover Church is better because of you. We're better because of you. The church at large is better because of you. I appreciate you being all humble, but when these couples, they're going to England, they're going all over our country, they're going everywhere looking after pastors. You ever thought about that? Who looks after the people that are up here looking after you? 
amazing men and women who have laid down their lives to probably, pastoring is the hardest job, okay? They pastor pastors. Can you imagine how hard that is? So I just want to say thank you so much for being dear friends, being mother and father to us, and we love you. We love you. Oh, man. Absolute legends. Oh, my goodness. So handsome and beautiful. Goals, right? You know? All right. Well, week 50, baby, of fire upon the earth. We are coming in. We are almost done the dang thing. It's good. Come on. We have taken the entire year, I kid you not, 2023, we have stewarded one single word. We have not changed. We have not switched series. We have not gone with the times or the doctrines. No, we have allowed the Lord to order our steps every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, every single Friday, every time we gather as a church. And we have come under this banner, this umbrella, this prophetic word from Luke 12, 49 through 50, where Jesus tells us his mission plan. I have come to set fire upon the earth, and I would if it were already kindled. He is looking to baptize a people afresh in his Holy Spirit, but it's not just any people. It is a people, it is a body, and it is a bride who have kindled themselves, dried themselves, rid themselves of every other love and every other affection of this world and are ready to ignite at the moment the Messiah chooses. Amen? We're almost there. We've taken 50 weeks now to steward one word. And we're going to continue to do that until this year is over. And let me tell you, we got another one for 2024. And I'm not ready for it. And I don't know if you're ready for it, but I know the Lord is ready for it. And he's going to do something, again, significant in this region. Amen? All right, who's got their B-I-B-L-E's? Y'all taking notes out there? Note takers are my favorites. Come on. I know, no partiality except for the note takers, okay? Fantastic. If you're taking notes, the title of my sermon this morning is Knowing the Fire. Knowing the Fire. Knowing the Fire. Come, Lord Jesus. Who's got their B-I-B-L-E's? I love big Bibles, and I cannot lie. Come on, wave it at me. Let's go. All right, Exodus 33. If you don't have a Bible, we have a lot of blue ones. You can steal one uh, or just take it with clear conscience that pastor said you could have it. Exodus 33. We're going to read the whole kit caboodle, baby. If you're there, say I'm there. If you need a minute, that's on you. And it'll be on the big screen because I believe, yeah, we got Hannah back there. We got Jen back there. A whole bunch of ladies holding it down in the booth today. Can we just thank them for all that they do, keeping us on track? Come on. Goodness. They're like ninjas with the prophetic song lyrics, by the way. I don't know how they're that fast, but they get them. All right, here we go. Exodus 33. Oh, the Lord said to Moses, not going to lie, we can literally preach on those words alone, and we'd be here for six hours, because the bottom line is God talks. And God doesn't just talk to anybody. He talks to us. He talks to what's his, his people. Oh, it's enough to make me lose my mind, but we got to go. Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you have bought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and all the Jesusites and all the other ites there is. Okay, enough of those words. Go up to a land flowing 
with milk and honey. Oof. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, <laughs> yeah, they mourned, and no one put on his, uh, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, "Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you." So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Harab and onward. The tent of meeting, verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp for far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch as Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and they would worship at each of his tent's door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. That is a word for every young leader in the room. Follow somebody who's going with God and then wait with the Lord longer than they do. Amen. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please, Show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. Moses gets spicy. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, and I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. Somebody say, Show me your glory. Say it like you mean it. Show me your glory. Come on. Please show me your glory and I will make all my goodness, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. We're going to pray and we're going to see what the Lord will do. Sound good? 
Let's do it. Father, we thank you. We do, God. I thank you and we thank you as a church. We thank you, God. We thank you for everything leading up until this moment, for your mercy, for your long-suffering, for your kindness, for the fact that you've never left us nor forsake us, God, that you are interested in us, God. It's amazing. God, it is the greatest conundrum in all of history that you are interested in us. And so, Father, I pray right now that as a church body, we would incline our hearts. We would incline not just our ears to your word, but our hearts to your spirit this morning. God, I recognize you this morning. Nobody came here to hear Pastor Matt. We all came here to hear Pastor Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, come. Would you speak to us this morning, Lord? My words will fall short. My charisma will dry up. My body will fade. I will break and I will die and I will see you in glory. But you... What you do in this room, God, lasts forever. That's what we're here for. That's what we're interested in. So, Father, I just pray against every other spirit in this room, every contentious spirit, every divisive spirit. You can go back to hell from which you came. This place is the Lord's. Holy Spirit reign in this room, in this moment, and we relent to you and you alone. And as we do, we give Jesus Christ all the glory and honor and power that he's so richly owed. In Jesus' mighty name, a faithful church said with their chest. Amen. amen. Come on. Some of you got those West Michigan cold chests right now. Amen. <laughs> Me too, brother. Ah, oh, knowing the fire. Knowing the fire. Knowing the fire. You know, like threes. Oh. <sighs> This specific passage of scripture has consumed my mental for two years. For two years. For two years, I go back to this, and I don't mean listen, 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 listen. If you ever meet a pastor here who only reads their Bible to prepare for a word, let me know, because that will change. And either if they're reading their Bible for only a message, or whether they're a pastor. One of two will change. That's, I know it's hardcore, chill. Listen, the reason is this, is because there are things hidden in there. He says, listen, 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 listen. I have hidden in my joy so that the kings can search it out as their delight. I have hidden away treasures in my word. I have tucked them and I have hidden. I'm not trying to tease you. I am trying to get you to pursue the one thing I place you on this earth for me, me. It's over two years. This has gripped me. It has gutted me and it has guided me as I have led this church, as if I had led myself, as I have led my marriage, as I have led my team, as I have led in every arena, whether it's the feet of Jesus or this pulpit or my marriage. This Exodus 33 has gripped me, gutted me, and guided me for two years. Because there is something so significant found in these short 23 verses. And yet, if we look from Israel in this moment, or the church in this moment, the same truths remain the same, and the same problems remain the same, and the same remedy to those problems remain the same. So we live in a time and place where everyone seems willfully content with simply knowing about the fire, sometimes being around the fire, 
wanting to wield the fire for personal gain, professional gain, personal marital gain. But very few, very few are willfully driven with a ravenous pursuit of knowing this man of fire. You see, Jesus, he's, he's interested in a, in a people and a body and a bride, but, but not just any people and not just any body and not just any bride. See, it's not just an assembly of people that he's interested. He's interested in the people who've assembled their kindled bones who are ready to be ignited. He's interested in a body that is not trying to compete for the head, but is willing to be the feet, who's willing to be the hands, who's willing to be the chest, who's willing to be the presence in the earth and allow him to be the head. And he's interested in a bride who doesn't have any other lover, who doesn't run around on him in secret, but who is crying out like we will at the end of this service, come, Lord Jesus, come. That there's only one thing that can satiate this bride, and it's the very thing that can make her white as snow. It is the bridegroom, Jesus. And as we go into 2024, I don't want to be found. I don't want to be found like so many others in our time period, in our city, in our region, in this world right now. I want to be found not just infatuated with the fire, but I want to be found intimate with the fire. I appreciate anybody this morning. Listen, listen, listen. We've all been in love. How many of you know infatuation fleets the second there's a demand upon the relationship? We all know. And that's why he's not looking for a fling. He's not looking for infatuation. He is looking for intimacy. Intimacy. Or as we like to call it, into me, you see. <laughs> we all remember that one. Into me, you see. Because there's two simple truths in this moment. That there are those who are interested in God because he's God. And there are those of us that are interested in God because of what God can do. And trust me, I'm all about what he can do. Okay, because when I get his hand, I can just look at his face. Like, I'm not, I got no beef with the doing. What I have significant beef with is what I believe the Lord also has significant beef with, if I can tread lightly and say that, is that he's not looking for some pageantry worship. But right now, what we see in the church at large is a lot of pageantry worship. Pageantry isn't worship. Pageantry is putting on a show. Pageantry is dressing the part. Pageantry is looking a certain way to entice a certain audience. He's not looking for a pageantry. He is looking for lovers. I'm appreciate anybody this morning. Come on, just take over church. You know we go hard from the jump, and then eventually we'll bring you up for air. But that's what we're doing today, okay? It's a gator roll Sunday. Let's go. But he's looking for a lover. He's looking for intimacy. He's not looking for this pageantry, this infatuation, this thing, because we can look all around the world right now and 
I've got brothers that I run with that I know, and we talk about this often. And it's like, well, Jesus isn't coming back anytime soon because look at the church. She's not beautiful. She's not radiant. She's not blemishless. She's not all these things. And I said, you are building your idea and understanding of the ecclesia, the church, based off one verse instead of letting the entire scriptures literally interpret the meaning of what the ecclesia, the church, is. Because if you look in the scriptures, what you will surely find is that specifically in Revelation, she's a remnant, so she's kind of, she's trim, she's small, she's skinny bride, okay? But second, we know it's entirely possible to do things in the name of Jesus, even great things in the name of Jesus, even otherworldly supernatural things in the name of Jesus, and yet still found out at the end of the day, I never knew you. So that means right now that it's entirely possible for there to be a pageantry bride, a bride that looks the part, who is Martha in the kitchen looking like a good home wife. And then there's a true bride like Mary sitting at his feet waiting on every word that departs from his mouth because it truly is, like Grant and everyone has said today, the bread of life. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. You see, right now we are in desperate need of a reevaluation. And listen, I, I know week in, week out, I say it all the time, a message like this, a sermon like this could kill this church. And guess what? I would be completely okay with that. Because if we're not going to be the church that Jesus longs for, then friends, I have news for us. We're not the church. That's a stiff drink, and I know. But it is late hours. The time for play play has come and gone. The time where we could get by with just good conservative TED Talks has come to an end. The time for me to be your life coach has come to its end. Now is the time for revival to pour out of the Spirit of God from Joel 2 to Acts 2 in our region. He's looking for rend hearts so that he can rend the heavens. This is the call of the church and for you and I in this hour. In this hour, there has got to be a bride like the end of Song of Solomon saying, make haste, my love. Make haste. Come. There's got to be a bride who is interested in fortifying and refining and being that blemishless, blameless, spotless, white bride who is in love with her bridegroom. The crazy thing is, is that I was convinced for the longest time that when I was called to plant a church in Grand Rapids, that take over the name was going to be the dopest thing of all time because every Christian would agree in a very Christian city that yes, we want to see Jesus take over our lives. What I found out recently, as in a few weeks ago, the Lord said, you thought that would be easy? And I was like, yeah, I thought Christians would agree with that. He goes, then why would I plant a church called Takeover if Christians already agreed with that? And I said, you're right. I'm an absolute idiot. He's like, yeah, you're a little bit of an idiot. And I was like, all right, thanks, Dad. But that's, I'm not preaching to anybody. He's like, listen, listen, you thought you were going to plant something that is the truest Christianity that we see in the word of God. And you thought every Christian under the sun was going to love that. He's like, do you love dying every day? And I said, no, Lord, I hate it. And he goes, so does every other Christian. But that is what a name like Takeover says. I didn't come to take part in your life. I came to take over your life. 
Friends, that is, that's what he came to do. It's what he came to establish. And, and trust me, believe me, I'd love to be 5,000 strong and I'd love to be able to pay my team what they owe. And I'd love to be able to do some things absolutely in our community of significance and have worship downtown and all those things. And one day, I believe we're going to get there. I believe one day God's going to do that. But right now, and I agree with Pastor Adrian, this is such the heart of the Lord in this moment because right now what he doesn't need is a church full of pageantry Christians with a few prophetic Christians trying to convince everybody else this is the way. Instead, what he would rather do would be to build big people and build them at a small time and then add to their numbers daily, weekly, and yearly. Amen? Until then, when it's 5,000 strong, it's not pageantry Christianity. It's prophetic Christianity. It's apostolic Christianity. It's biblical Christianity. Somebody even asked me the other day, they're like, why do we have wine at church and not just juice? And I said, because the closer, and if this offends you, that's why we have juice, Okay. The closer that I can get to what Jesus and his disciples did in the Gospels and in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament, the closer I can get to that, the further I am from what the humankind has made church. So that might seem silly and that might seem strange, but to me, it's like, man, wine was good enough for Jesus. I, well, Matt, people have, you know, strongholds I get that and we're going to break chains and we're going to offer juice until we have complete freedom and liberation in Jesus name and we're not going to lead others to stumble or sin amen we can honor God serve people do it both Jesus did but that's the whole point see I don't I don't want to just be content with knowing about the fire be content standing outside the fire I'm not interested in Garth brooking this thing okay I want to live in the fire. I want to be intimate with the fire. And I want to know him until I am all that I know is him. Pastor Matt, that sounds insane. Kind of sounds like Jesus. Kind of sounds like Jesus. So Matt, what does this have to do with with Exodus, what does this have to do with Israel? What does this have to do with Moses? What does this have to do with anything we just read? Absolutely everything. Because at this moment in time, there is one man. There was one man who's not obsessed with pageantry. There is one man who's not obsessed with what it looks like of the gold of the idols that we erect in our day. He's not interested in doing what the greater body or the church is doing in his time. Instead, what he's interested in is ascending that hill and meeting with God. Friends, what, what if I told you God's same obsession in this moment was meeting with Moses? What if I told you God shares in that obsession? I, I want to know you. Can, can that just not change our lives for just a moment? Before we go back to Christmas shopping, before we go back to the holidays, before we go back to family members, till we go back to the things that we have to take care of and responsibilities, can we just sit there for a second and realize that God has a desire and that desire isn't to destroy you, it's to know you. That God has a desire that you would know him. Do you know what that means? That means that God only works one way and it's in knowing him. 
God isn't interested in simply knowing about him. Yes, friends, let me tell you, we're in West Michigan, baby. Theology matters. Rich, robust, deep, church, historically accurate theology, biblical theology matters. But in a land of seminaries and seminoids, let me tell you, friends, it's entirely possible to know about God and not be walking with God. It's entirely possible. And I'll show you that in just a second, but we got to understand today. We've got to understand that God had a desire to meet with Moses and Moses was found being the one who had a desire to meet with him. And then there was his assistant, Joshua, which want to talk about young leaders in the place. And by young, I don't just mean as in uh, age. I mean young as in you're not yet the leader in whatever arena the Lord is calling you to, but you're being prepared. Any prepared person in here that is being consecrated right now, this whole last six weeks, right? We said the last six weeks of the year, all about preparation and consecration. That's what we're doing, baby. Listen. Being the one sitting outside the tent. When everyone else is busying themselves with constructing idols, of worshiping themselves, of worshiping their flesh, of getting theirs and doing theirs and being interested in only them, I'm telling you, Joshua ends up being not just the intern, not just the assistant to the regional manager, Joshua's the one that leads Israel ultimately into the promised land. So what looked like sitting around the fire, what looked like attending to things that Moses didn't have time to, what looked like tedious, non-significant work ends up being the very thing that prepared Joshua to lead them into the promised land. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. This is all significant. Every single syllable, every single period, every single punctuation mark in the word of God goes forth and does not return void. Therefore, it has power to transform your entire life. Including, and there was Joshua sitting outside the tent long after Moses had left. God has a desire to know you. God had a desire in this moment to not just know Moses, but to know Israel. So if God has a desire, that means God has a demand. And when God has a demand, that means there's no thing that can change his mind. There is nothing that can bend his arm or manipulate him. God cannot be manipulated by man. God can only be moved by man. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? God cannot be manipulated by man. God can only be moved by man. How do I know? Because he's interested in actually having a relationship with you. If you're a parent here, you know all about when your child tries to manipulate you. Yeah. And if you're a child in here, which we all are, you know what it's like to manipulate your parents. And guess how that works out? It doesn't but we all know what it's like to move mom and dad. We all know what it's like to move our grandparents, or our caretakers. We all know what it's like to be a parent and be moved. God, the father's the same way. He longs to be moved, but I'm telling you, listen, 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 listen. When we attempt to manipulate God rather than move God, that shows a lack of intimacy. Yeah. That shows a lack of intimacy. 
When you want to manipulate God, God, I need you to fix my marriage. God, I need you to pay this bill. God, I need you to get me in the door because once I'm in the door and once I have them as an audience, I will show them I am the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's like, listen, promotion, marital reconciliation, healing, all of these things, they are found in a relationship with God but they are found in, they are not, how do I want to say this? The initiator of. So many of us, we long to look to him to do things for us rather than being with him and then having an overflow from that place. Man, I, I love if God fixed marriages in the room, but I'm telling you, it's easier for him to fix marriages when he knows the marriages. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Man, he'd love to give everybody in this room a promotion. It's easier to give you a promotion at work when he knows how you're going to steward it because he knows your heart and he knows your character. Take it from me as a man who was once told he drips of male machismo and charisma. One of the greatest compliments I've ever got. She didn't mean it as a compliment, but let me tell you this. Character may get, or listen, charisma may get you in a room, but character is what's going to keep you there. And trust me, my charisma has gotten me pretty far in life and where my character couldn't keep me at the time. Thanks, babe. It's the wrong moment to agree, Pastor. But I'm being honest. There's something about God being involved and wanting to be involved that should sit here and pause us and go, wait, the creator of the known universe and the unknown universe, everything we see and we don't see, he is interested me facts because he was interested in his this very moment shows us the very thing I've been raging against for so long is that this friends this can't be built on Matt's personal time with the Lord your faith cannot be built on Matt's personal time with the Lord your relationship and intimacy and knowing him and him knowing you it cannot be secondhand from mine it can't be. Could you imagine if Moses wasn't the only one found sitting and pursuing God? Let me tell you what happens when this is built and predicated upon one person and their personal time with the Lord. You have one holy man, and then you have an army of stiff-necked people. That's what we see right there, right? You got one man who's intimate with God, who spends all of his time with God, who longs to be with God, and yes, he was called to be a leader, but if you think for a moment God didn't want an army of holy men and women and zero stiff-necked among them, let me tell it to you this way. It took 80 years of Moses' life to get to this moment. He was 40 when he was called in Egypt, and he was 40 years in the desert after that, and this moment, Moses is at least 80. 80 years to make one holy man. What would happen if the entire tribe of Israel and the entire church today, you and me, is takeover? Let's zero it in. Take it from the macro and bring it to the micro. What if you and I, we decided as a body that it doesn't matter where you're starting at, we're all going to finish together? 
that it doesn't matter your lack of theology at this moment or your lack of intimacy at the moment, but we just decide today we're going to be committed to being a people of stewarding personal intimacy with the Lord so that we're not found having one holy man that we're building everything upon, who, by the way, I can't actually lead you into the promised land like Moses couldn't, but yet everything was built on him. Instead, we all decided, no, 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 we're going to be at the tent of meeting. We're going to be in the tent of meeting. We're going to be found with the Lord. We together, we might have leaders. We might have biblical order. We might have governance. We might have hierarchy and all those things that the Lord established. Yes, it's good. But man, I sure think he would love if he just had a bride that was made up of sons and daughters who knew the benefits and the joy of spending time with their father. Listen, listen, listen. Holiness and stiff-necked and brokenhearted, these, these are what happens when you encounter the living God. You are either going to be the person who is inclined to love him, or a message like this is going to stiff your neck and break your heart and harden you to the things of God. That is how he works. He's like, no, 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 I, I am literally... I am the rock everything comes up against. I am the rock of ages. You will either break into me or you will break against me. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I am telling you, listen, so many Christians, as we see in this moment, listen, so many Christians live like Israel today where we believe God has set me free from my sin and then we go, let the fun begin. Israel feels like God set us free from Egypt. Now let the fun begin. And it's like, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. You got to pause. You were thinking about these things in very earthly terms, just like Israel was. So many of us, we go, no, no, God set me free from sin. Now I'm free to do what I want. No, God didn't set you free from sin for you to do what you want, just like he didn't set uh, Israel free from Egypt so Israel could do what they want. Well, pastor, what did he set us free for then? He set you free from your sin so you can do what he wants. Well, what does he want? He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. You see, so many of us, we live free from sin, but then open to everything else. And guess what ends up happening? We end up coming back to sin. <laughs> because we had no vision for our freedom. We had no trajectory for our freedom. We didn't understand, oh, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And then we're like, what do we do next? Whatever you want, church, you're liberated. And it's like, well, no. See, the actual truth of the matter is the greatest amount of fun you'll ever have, the greatest joy you'll ever experience, the sweetest taste you'll ever have, the greatest high you'll ever experience on this earth is actually found in knowing the Father. It's actually found deep in your salvation. So many Christians, they go, okay, I'm free for sin, but I can't do all this, so I guess all my fun's ruined. And I'm like, one, Holiness is the goal, not happiness, but happiness is a byproduct of holiness. Why? Because when you're holy, you are found next to the Holy One because he says, be holy as I am holy. And he also says, listen, if you're not holy, I'll consume you. We just read it. So what does that mean? Be holy as I am holy. And then all of a sudden we are doing a divine dance, a relationship and intimacy with the Father that is the most freeing, liberating, fun, joyful, best experience you will ever have. And dare I say it for the sake of showing my age. Friends, there is still no high like the most high. 
but it's true. He's a better drink. He's a better drug. Paul puts it this way, if you're offended by that statement, if you're going to get drunk, get drunk in the spirit. Not those other spirits. Okay, guys? Listen, this is the reality that we see in this moment. God is telling Moses, I love you, but I can't be around them. I can't go with you. And he's like, well, but why? He's like, because when people get around me, they break. They combust. And he's like, well, how do you know? He's like, your track record tells me so. <sighs> your track record, it tells me so. I've, I've seen it. I've been around you. I've seen how you fall and how you're frail and how you burst into flames in my presence because you would rather worship a golden calf. I mean, look at your friends down there. Look at Aaron. We're up here. We're having the best time ever. Me, you, we are friendship. We have friendship. We are in intimacy together. And I am telling you all of my secrets. And your brother is down there listening to the jabronis building another golden idol. Tell you what, Moses, I'm going to make him drink it. Uh, <laughs> it's true. But that's what happens in this moment. And so God says, of course I can't go with you. He's like, I will point you in the direction. I will send an angel. I will clear out the land for you, but I cannot go with you. And so Moses in this moment is probably obviously defeated, probably obviously going, well, I mean, I know him. He's, I trust him. He's God. He's sovereign. He has his plan and his purpose. And at the same time, like, there's something that doesn't feel right about that. And we'll get to this in the moment. But what happens in between Moses pondering those thoughts before he speaks back to God, is God actually has a little bit of this thing that we take for granted called mercy. And mercy happens in this moment. And before Moses can speak again, God says this. He goes, listen, you go down there and you tell them, you rebuke them. By the way, rebuking is merciful. By the way, Pastor Sonny's going to call me up after this and he's going to be like, dude, you're insane. And you need to chill out. And it's going to be loving. And I'm going to be like, yes, sir, you're, you're completely right. And you want me to succeed in all God's called me to do, right? That's mercy. That's mercy. And so God has mercy on his people, even though he doesn't necessarily like to be around them at the moment because they're wicked and stiff-necked. And he says, Moses, go down there and you tell them. Tell them I'm going to send an angel. Tell them I'm going to go before you. I'm going to do this stuff. I'm not going to go with you, but... They need to take off their ornaments so I will know what to do with them. See, this moment is massive. I don't think many people actually contemplate this moment. We don't really think about this moment. We don't really understand this word. But you've got to understand the context. They are on their way to the promised land. In fact, so they have been set free from Egypt. They've been for, spent 40 years in the desert chasing their tail, eating expired bread with maggots, and it's bad, and they're dumb, right? Just like me, just like you, being dumb. And then all of a sudden, God says, listen, this is merciful. It's so merciful. He says, you tell them to take off their ornaments. Why? So that I may know what to do with them. Well, what is their ornaments? Well, probably everything on them and everything within them. Well, Pastor Matt, what do you mean? Well, how long were they in Egypt? How long were they slaves? I mean, from their sandals to their robes, right? It's all Egyptian. From their hearts to their minds, it's all been broken and programmed by Egypt. Everything about them, they may be free of Egypt in the physical. 
but what they have chosen to bring with them as they pass through those waters still carries with them today. And what's interesting about this is, man, if their appropriate response wouldn't have been just, I'm free from Egypt, now I can do what I want, but they saw it as, I'm free to Egypt, now I can be with God, guess what would have happened? They would have stripped naked and nude and derobed through those open waters, baby, because they knew they couldn't take anything of Egypt with them. And all that they used to be and all they used to know and all they used to be would be left right there on that parted sea, that dry ground, and all of Egypt would have trampled over themselves before the waters collapsed on them. If that was the appropriate response, if they understood just what salvation meant, they weren't just free of Egypt, they were free to him. You're not just free of sin, you're free to him. Sin separates, salvation brings together. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? This is the moment in our culture. This is the moment in this world. This is the moment for you and I to decide today whom we're going to be. Because God does this. He goes, look, I've got to get a look at them so I may know what to do with them. Well, God, what do you mean? I got to get past all the Egypt. And I got to see where they're broken. I got to see where they're jaded. I got to see where they have disbeliefs. I got to see where they have distrust. I got to see who they are, what they really are. Well, why, God? Why? So you can shame them? So you can berate them? No, so I can love them and I can redeem them. Listen, listen, friends. I have a word for you this morning. You want to hear this? Jesus carries and wears eternal wounds so you don't have to. Jesus carries, handles, holds, and possesses on his renewed body eternal scars so that you and I, we don't have to. So many of us, we come out of our sin, we come out of our brokenness, and we're sitting here with our ornaments, and we wear our chains like it's a Jesus piece, and we're like, yeah, I was broken. This is what God saved me from. And I love the testimony, but this is where it goes wrong. Ready? This is where it goes wrong. This is where it becomes sin. It's where it becomes pride. Yeah, God freed me. God set me free. All these things where I used to be. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we switch and we go. So I wear these scars like a badge of honor. Look what I survived. What couldn't kill me made me stronger. And that's how most Christians live. In fact, I know Christians to this day who think whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger is in the Bible. No, it's not. But that's the attitude that we live once we come into salvation. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I'm not just trying to restore you. And I'm not just trying to kind of present you a little bit better. I'm actually coming to redeem you. Well, Jesus, what does that mean? To make better than ever was. Jesus is so loving and our Father is so good. And the Holy Spirit is at work in such a mighty way that he goes, listen, listen, listen. No, no, no. My son is going to carry eternal wounds so you don't have to. You don't actually get to wear your chains has an ice around your neck as a prideful statement of look what I've been through. No, 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 no. That's, that's actually washed and done away with under the blood and I aim to renew you. Well, that's just how I am. That's how I was brought up. No, no, no. I have saved you from death and brought you into life. You no longer get to cloak behind your bitterness to justify how you treat people. the reality of who our Jesus is. And so God, he's saying, listen, listen, listen. I need you to derobe. I need you to take off your ornaments. And I need you to leave all of Israel or all of Egypt here because where we're going, it cannot come. 
This is consecration. This is being set apart. This is saying, listen, I'll provide, I provided fig leaves in the beginning, baby. I'll do it again. I provided lamb's fur and wool in the beginning. I'll do it again. We need all of this off you because it cannot come with you where I intend to take you. It cannot come with you where I intend to take you. And so Moses, he has to go down. He has to deliver this word, of course, because these are people who are infatuated and not in love. They're just disgruntled and they're more stiff-necked. And it's like, I'm going to be cold. I'm going to be, you know what I mean? Like they just start thinking about me, 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 I, I, I. And not going, do you not understand the king of the universe wants you to take off everything that you laid hold to and claim as yours and who you are as an identity and wants to show you what he wants to do with you. If that's not the human condition, and if that is not what we have seen in modern Christianity for so long, I don't know a better example. But I know that's been me, and I know that's been many of us in this room, and if that's not been you, praise God. But what I know is that for so many of us, we get saved from, but not saved for. We get saved out of, but we don't get saved unto. We leave Egypt and then we think now we can do whatever we want and God's going, no, I didn't actually save you for you to do whatever you want. I saved you so you can now do whatever I want. Well, God, what is that? What do you want? I want you to know me. In fact, when we try to live in a way that is both free and disinterested in him, we become stiff-necked. We become that stuck in the mud, can't get over ourselves, can't get over them, can't get over this. And all of a sudden, you may be a Christian on paper, you may have had a baptism, but man, he's saying, whom the sun sets free is free indeed, but you have gone back and you have placed yourself in chains. I broke those, how dare you wear them? I healed those scars, how dare you ruminate on them? I told you, take every thought captive. We're going into the promised land. Those thoughts can't come with you. Yeah, but they hurt me. Yeah, but I saved you. Yeah, but they abused me. Yeah, but I washed you. God, you don't know. In fact, I do more than anybody. And I know the toll it's taken on your soul. And loving me and me loving you is the only thing that's going to redeem any of this. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. I'm telling you, there is a reality of knowing the fire that cleanses and purifies and refines everything. You can know about the fire or you could be interested in what the fire can do, but there is a greater invitation and this is where we're gonna transition. There's a greater invitation in this next moment of scripture. And it's knowing the fire. Because the best part is when you know him, he tells you about him. And when you know him, he'll do the things that only he can do when you know him. It's amazing. And so what happens in this moment is we already talked about the tent of meeting and Moses and he's there and everyone's just kind of, you know, on looking and doing their own thing and they've been constructing their own dumb idols and doing their own thing. And there's Joshua, right? And so fast forward into this moment and Moses is with God again. And he says, all right, I told them what you said. They're naked and ready to go. <laughs> And God goes, all right, but I'm not going to go with you. 
But Moses, being a holy man, listen, listen, listen. This is the transition. Are you hearing me? This is what happens when you go from being the people outside the tent to the one inside the tent. This is what happens when you go from the base of the mountain to ascending the top with Moses with this. When you begin to have a relationship. And this, friends, is what the new covenant Christianity affords for us. Because this moment in time, this moment, this relationship that Moses had with God and the way Moses gets to speak to God in this next, Mos- in this next moment and not be smited and wiped off the board but instead embraced and listened to is what the blood of Jesus has purchased for every single one of us. Not just Moses and not just your pastor, every single one of us. So God says, all right, here's the plan. You're gonna go and you're gonna keep going until you find a land of milk and honey. Moses is like, milk, love it, honey, great. That's where it ends. Bless you. Bless you. Somebody lay hands on this girl. God, she's disrupting service. So he's like, here's milk and honey, go. Period. Okay, so is God just being mean? No. Is God just disgruntled? Probably a little bit. Or is God looking for something in his friend? Because like we said, he's face to face with him where he meets with him like a friend and so this friendship moment rises up in Moses where he he's not just a son and he's not just a daughter and he's he's not just a part of a greater body but no no he's actually the one who in the entire tribe is friends with God and and it's out of that friendship Moses says some things that nobody else would be at license to say and nobody else would have the quite quite frankly the huevos to say if I can say that no one's leaving we're good He says the things that only a friend can say to a friend and he just goes, but but if you only send an angel, if you only send someone else and replace you, then how, how will I or your people be distinct? How will the world know that we are a separated, consecrated, different breed of human? How will the rest of the world know if you don't come with us? How will they know that you are God? And it's in that moment of friendship. Are you hearing me? Of knowing the fire where all of a sudden God had an ordered moment in time. No, no, this only goes down the one way, but outside of friendship. If nobody else or if anybody else, rather, asked this question, said these things to God, they'd probably be taken care of and off the board. But a friend got to speak to God and tell God who God is. And there's this amazing verse in Psalm 138 that we prayed through on our Friday morning, morning glory prayer meeting this last Friday. It was amazing. We had a great time. The Lord hit in this room and... uh, unraveled he told me he wants to give our church holy eyes can you believe that he wants to give us holy eyes what if we were known in our city in our region in our families to our kids to the teachers to our workmates as someone who possessed holy eyes the world wouldn't even know what to do with that but they'd want to know what you see and they want to know how you see it because you're different. 
And there's this moment in 138, Psalm 138. He says, David, he says, but you, Lord, you have honored your name and your word above all things. So what does David know, that Moses knows, that Abraham knows, that Lot knew, that so many and very few today know? That God exalts his name, honors his name, honors his word above all things. And so it's in this moment where Moses, which I believe this is what God is going to do in this church in 2024. We're going to have a relationship as individuals and as a community where we stand before God and we go, I know you. I know you. I know you, and this child of mine will not die of sickness because you have exalted your name and your word above everything. I know you, and my marriage will not fail because I know you, and you've exalted your name and your word above all things, including my sinful nature, hard disgruntlement, whatever it may be. Do you see it, church? There's a friendship and intimacy and in knowing the fire that you can stand before God when he's already decided, I've made up my mind, I'm not going. But a friend of God can stand before him and go, I know you. Oh, I know you. And I know you're just getting a rise out of me right now. You're drawing a prayer out of me, a cry out of me, a plea out of me. You are beckoning me forward to not challenge you but to call out to you and say, I know you. I know you and you honor your name and your word above all things. And I know they're stiff-necked and I know they were stuck in a desert for 40 years when it was only a mile and a half, but I know you. I know you. And it's in that moment where Moses, he says to God all the things about God that he knows. And he goes, you call me by my name. You have said, I found favor in your sight. You told me and you affirmed to me, God, that I know you. What would your life look like? And what would your prayer life look like? And what would your intimacy with the Father look like if you could go to God and go, no, you told me my name. You told me I had favor in you. You told me we were friends. God goes, I did call you by name. And I did tell you you had favor in my sight, worship team. You can make your way over. I did tell you these things. You do have favor in my sight. You are my friend. And I will move. I will do. I will go. And I will honor my name and my word above all things. Above all things. And so suddenly in this moment, they're well on their way. The troops are getting up. People are getting ready. We're about to go into the promised land. We're about to ascend. We're about to revel up so we can level up. We're about to go to the moon, baby. And God is getting ready to go before Moses. And Moses, he knows God. And he has a relationship with God. And it's out of that relationship that he can, dare I say, joke with God, entice God, play games with God a little bit, not in the way we often meet it in church. But this moment happens and God goes, that's my Moses. That's my man of God. That's who I have favor with. That's my guy. And Moses is like, yeah, I am. 
We're the best friends that anybody could have. And then all of a sudden, God's getting ready to go. And Moses goes, hey. God looks back and he's like, yeah? And Moses goes, sneaky, sneaky. Hey, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And in this moment, God's like, yes. This is actually what I'm looking for. This is actually what I desire. Now I'll kill poor Moses if I show him everything, but this is actually what I want. I want a friendship. I want some cheekiness. I want a relationship of trust, of favor, of being able to say, I have just asked you to move on behalf of the entire tribe and nation and people and city and church. And at the same time, in personal intimacy, nobody else got to see the glory. So what does that mean? God in this moment, he wasn't building a brand, he was building a man. God in this moment, he didn't have a relationship with a ministry. He had a relationship with a man that would steward his ministry. Are you hearing me? It's this intimacy, this inner, inner intimacy, this stewardship on the inside that allowed Moses to have this relationship with God. He said, I know you. This is who you are. And then like that bro before he goes, trying to take a Red Bull out the fridge, can you show me your glory? Can you show me your glory? And so it wasn't about leading better. He didn't want to see his glory because of what it would build Moses. Because it would make everybody else want to listen to him. Oh, he's seeing God's glory. It's not what it's about. There was nothing in the natural, friends, as far as prominence, fame, or notoriety that actually benefited Moses from this request at all. Instead, it was a friend to a friend saying, I know you have the greatest kept secret of all time. Can you show me? Can you show me who you really are, what you're really like? Can you show me to a measure that I can stand? And I want to come back and I want to meet with you again tomorrow. And I want to meet with you in the promised land. And I want to meet with you when I'm upset. And I want to meet with you when I'm happy. And I want to meet with you when everything's good. And I want to meet with you when everything's going away. And I want to meet with you every single day. Would you show me your glory? Would you guys stand? Would you show me your glory? It's amazing. Because what we see in this moment, hear me, we're going to put another knife in the tire of thought that church has to be built upon and predicated upon a single man or woman of God. Hear me. In this moment, not even the most holiest man around was good to stand in all of God's glory. What does that mean? God literally had to make him small and stuff him in a rock so that God could pass by, cover him, and only reveal a small portion of himself. What does that mean for you and I? That means that until we stand face to face with the Lord, we'll never arrive. And I'm not saying it like this. Listen, when I say that, people get weird. Don't get weird. I believe... You can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think so because I read the Bible. 
I believe that actually in this life, we can be so submitted to the Holy Spirit, and so in love with Jesus, and so literally, what's the word I'm looking for? In def- definite obedience to His Word that you and I can live sinless lives. I'm not saying that we're messiahs. I'm not saying that we're little gods. I'm not saying anything of the matter. I'm saying that you and I can actually arrive at a place where sin no longer entices us and we just want to be with Jesus. I believe that because that's what I see in the Word of God. So when I say we'll never arrive, what I mean is, is there's always going to be consecration. There's always going to be seasons of less of me, more of Him. There's always going to be a moment where more of Him requires more of us. And that means the discomfort and the moment of being scaled back, stuffed into a rock where God says, I will show you my glory. But even for you, holy man, there's another level to this. I want to be a community that's not just spoke about in our city of that pastor knows God. Don't put that glory on me. I can't hold it. I can't can't handle it. But instead, what if we were a church, a lighthouse, a beacon in the earth today? They know God. They don't just talk about Him. They talk to Him. They don't just sing about Him. They sing to Him. They don't just preach about Him. They preach with Him. They just don't live a quote-unquote Christian life. No, no, no. They live out the embodiment of Jesus in the earth. Friends, I believe that is the invitation today. I believe today that can be possible. Today I believe that can start. And I am committed, friends. I'm committed, beloved. I'm committed to running this race together. Transparency and honesty and loving and mercy and justice. And going after the glory of God in unity together until He comes back or we stand before Him. But either way, friends of God. Friends of God. Amen. So this is what we're going to do. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to come forward. I don't even know why I carry this iPad. I don't use it. I'm going to invite you to come forward. Why? Because I'm telling you, you and I, we're humans. If we don't move in the natural, friends, barely are we ever moved in the spiritual. We have got to get outside of ourselves to get close to Him. That's what we're going to do right now. So I'm going to pray a prayer, an invitation of intimacy and friendship, of one where you and I begin to dig the deep wells of intimacy and friendship with the God, where we don't challenge Him, but we call Him, and He actually moves at the sound of His friends. Not manipulation. Not manipulation of sinful sons and daughters, but of sanctified sons and daughters who have matured to the point they can actually be friends with their father. I preach to anybody this morning. So a worship team is going to lead. I'm going to pray. I invite you forward. And this is how we're going to conclude today. So Father, Father, I ask right now, God, I ask right now, God, these altars would be filled, Father, with sons and daughters. Sons and daughters, God, who are interested in the pageantry, God. Kill pageantry in us, God. 
kill it dead Lord we don't want to dress and dance God just to entice man no Lord we want to be found at your feet father kill the pageantry so much Lord that we're we're not interested in how it looks we'd rather be stuffed in a rock we would be stuffed in a rock God you got a call of God in your life young man I can see it right now you remember this day God's calling you little Fletcher so right now Lord I pray in this moment Father that you would come and that you would draw the hearts of sons the hearts of daughters that God we would repent of anything God that is blocking us from moving into that place of mature and not manipulation of moving and not manipulation God we don't want to manipulate you we don't want to use you God no we want to move you and we want to be used by you God so come Come today, Father. Would you move in this room in such a way the altar's open. You can come. Don't wait for me. The invitation is out. This is just welcoming the Lord. And right now, Father, I ask, send your Holy Spirit in this moment. Show us your glory like you did Moses. Show us the friendship that's available to us, God. Let us not be making idols in this moment, God. But Lord, tear down every idol that we have erected of a Jesus that looks more like us than it does your precious son and reveal the son to us today, God, truly. Because God, we refuse to be friends with this world and when we're friends with the false idol Jesus we are friends with this world and when we're friends with this world the brother of Jesus James he said we are enemies of you we don't want to be your enemy we want to be your lovers we don't want to be in enmity with you we want to be in friendship with you so father come make us a church that are friends of God Help us to know this fire one. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let us worship.